it's December 31st, 2023, New Year's Eve. And very happy to have Long Pa back from his travels, Thailand and India. And uh, he must be quite jet lagged, but still powering through. Or, <laughs> or at least uh, present, <laughs> physically present. <laughs> and uh, just some recollections coming up from the year. It's been quite a year, and it uh, feels like a lot has happened this year. And it's good to take whatever time we have to make the mind wholesome. And there's that sense that as we practice and we do our reflections and contemplations and considerations, then there's that sense there's not much time. And as each year passes, time is running out for all of us. That opportunity to practice is running out. And right now, right here at this moment, we are here and we are practicing right now. So we're in the practice right now and we uh, we have this opportunity and just to be able to encourage ourselves, tell ourselves, yes, we are here right now. We are doing it right now. And we can continue this. We can, uh, because we are practicing right now, we are in this monastery, we are in this situation, then we can keep going and we can keep developing the mind, the bhavana, the mental cultivation. And using various practices that the Buddha recommended, such as anapanasati, and such as reflection on the elements, the postures, the uh, reflections on the body, the metta kamatana, the metta practice, all of these practices that the Buddha gave us, we can cultivate them and develop them more and more in order to purify the mind, purify the heart, and we really can do it. For myself, I feel like having been a bhikkhu for nearly 21 years, and I still have that feeling that I, I have a long way to go in terms of purifying the mind and cultivating the practice. And yet, I feel that all of us can really work toward purity. And then maybe we will get to that point. We will get to that day where we can actually make a stand against the defilements that have been lording it over the heart since time immemorial. And we do have that opportunity. It's as Mechi Gao says in her biography, she says, we've been suffering for so long and when is it gonna be enough? And we've been suffering and stuck in dukkha for so long and yet when we practice, we might feel like it's still gonna keep going on forever and yet if we practice long enough, we will get to a certain point where we'll feel that the end of dukkha come, is starting to come into view and that the end of the road is actually in sight and that it actually becomes a very real possibility when we practice. And so it's like we've been walking along this road, along this path for a long time. Those of us who have been practicing for a longer time uh, or even those of us who have been practicing for a shorter period of time, we might start to get the feeling that Maybe it actually is possible. Maybe the ending of the complete ending of dukkha actually is possible for me. And all of us can think, have this reflection. 
And in the suttas, it's really interesting to note that a lot of these suttas, Anapanasati Sutta, Satipatthana Sutta, the Buddha really lays it out really clearly how to hold the mind, how to practice. But sometimes it's easy to miss it because there's these really mistaken assumptions that are easy to fall into. One of the most mistaken and most common mistaken uh, assumptions is that practice of meditation is about stopping thought. So let us all let's just let go of that because the Buddha doesn't talk about that. If, if not thinking was a factor of the path, then it would be in the Noble Eightfold Path. It wouldn't be right thought, it would be no thought. But the Buddha says in the Satipatthana Sutta, he says, one considers thus, this body is made up of merely elements, or one considers thus, there are three types of feeling, pleasant, painful, neutral. So the Buddha, when the Buddha is saying, one considers thus, that's, that means you think about it. So we think about the practice, we think about these things, or how many times Lumpur Cha gave, gave Dhamma talks, and then at the end of the talk he says, take what I've said away and consider it, ponder it, think it over, is it true or not, and try to apply it to yourself. So a lot of these things, contemplations, considerations. Yes, we do want to rest the mind in samadhi. Yes, we do want to settle the mind, but that happens very naturally. So it's not through clamping down or tensing up and trying to, um, trying to squeeze out or, or blot out thought and attain a, a state of mental blankness. That's not what we're trying to do here. So with the bhavana, the mental cultivation, we want to bring into being these, these wholesome mental states. And uh, the time of New Year's is a great time to clean the slate, begin again. It's a really skillful time to begin again, even though it's just another day, just another night this evening, and tomorrow is going to be just another day. And the, uh, the animals in the forest, they don't really know that it's New Year. They're just going about, the deer are still just going about there, doing their thing, eating grass and trying to avoid predators. And, and the, uh, the trees are just continue to grow and continue to age and continue to die. They're just doing their thing. The weather continues to change. The temperature is just doing its thing. So none of these conditions have this awareness that it's New Year, and yet the time of New Year can be held in a skillful way to clean the slate and make some resolutions, try to uh, lift ourselves back up and actually be able to do what's wholesome and cultivate the mind, cultivate the heart. And really we want to uh, try to use this time to, to practice, do what's wholesome, and then uh, put a little, we might also want to put a little bit of pressure on the mind if there's some really strong defilements or some really strong states that have been causing a lot of suffering for us and even bringing us to grief, then to really look at that, uh, really consider those states. Where, what are the causes and conditions that are bringing those about and how can we address those causes and conditions? And so when the Buddha talks about the Four Noble Truths, so we chanted the Dhammachaka Pawatana Sutta this evening and the Buddha gives that first teaching to the five students, to his first five disciples, the first five bhikkhus. Then he talks about the, uh, the Four Noble Truths, and the first noble truth being dukkha, the truth that there is suffering. But then he doesn't 
address that really directly. He says, well, there's a cause. The cause is what you have to address. These three kinds of tanha, these three kinds of craving, kama tanha, bhava tanha, vibhava tanha, and you address those. And how do you address those? We address those by the uh, complete abandonment, complete relinquishment of that very craving. So this is kind of a radical teaching. Uh, it's not saying, well, you know, it's it's okay to have craving and and you know it's it's really uh, you know it's not that bad, but it is it's the cause of dukkha. This is what's causing our suffering, and the Buddha is just look, pointing at it directly. This is what's causing it. Ajahn Sudhiro gave a really nice morning reflection this morning about uh, bringing up that teaching of Ajahn Chah that uh, when when you have a hole and you have an object in the bottom of a deep hole and then uh, somebody tries to put their arm into the hole and they can't reach this object at the bottom of this deep hole. Everybody says the hole's too deep and nobody says their arm isn't long enough. So really, uh, that's what we have to make that shift and to saying, well, my arm isn't long enough rather than the hole's too deep. So uh, it's, it's so compelling to think the suffering is caused by the, this political situation, the suffering is caused by, the suffering that I'm experiencing is caused by global warming or seeing about global warming on the news or the, my suffering is caused by this person sitting next to me or my suffering is caused by that other person chewing loudly. That's where my suffering comes from. That's the cause of suffering. And, uh, or this, uh, or this, my suffering is caused from just uh, this, this the sounds happening around me or the construction happening outside or or whatever or this suffering is caused by this illness that I have or or I'm suffering because of my past family situation that was traumatic for me so those are all side factors those can all be side factors but then the suffering when we experience suffering for example when somebody chews loudly next to us in the meal line in the in the dining hall and we suffer because of that that's our suffering that's where that's what we're experiencing it's our feeling it's our suffering and really the person who's chewing loudly they might be really enjoying themselves and have and really not know anything about it they might not realize that we're miserable so uh, and the way we the way we suffer is and it's so basic yet yet it's and it's so close yet just to really take that teaching of the four noble truths oh right and remind ourselves consider that the buddha said craving is the cause of suffering it's that simple uh, bhava tanha kama tanha bhava tanha vibhava tanha so then we might think okay i'm i'm done with it i'm done with suffering i'm I'm, it, I'm, I'm over it, and uh, I'm just, I just want to be done with everything. So there's, and then that creep, and then that's the vibhava tanha that creeps in. So we have to be careful. So it's this balance that we're, we're looking at striking a balance with the practice, yeah. this incredible balance. And that incredible balance is what the Buddha is talking about. It's a parisuddhi or purity. 
the purity of the mind, the purity of the heart, and that sense of unshakability. And when the Buddha talks about the contemplation of the body as just merely being elements, not being, not being me or mine, not self. So this is something which is very, very basic and very close, yet at the same time, very profound. And the Buddha even, he even addresses the, the, what it might come up in our minds when we do a contemplation like that. And when we start out with a contemplation like that, the Buddha says, one may think, so myself here will be destroyed and annihilated. And then one experiences fear and dismay. And then the Buddha says, well, that's not actually the case. What's happening is that the truth of the way things are is all these things were not self from the beginning and they just continue to be and they will always be not self. It's not that there is a self that's gonna be destroyed. So these are just nat natural causes and conditions, you know, natural laws. The body is built up of elements. It arises, sustains itself for a while and passes away according to its nature. Uh, the mind also arises, sustains, passes away according to its nature. So anything physical or mental, the five khandas, these five heaps. I think it's brilliant that the Buddha calls them heaps, the five heaps, the five piles. So that's our, our body is made up of piles, piles of things. And so we have piles of organs, you know, piles of, we have piles of muscle, piles of skin, uh, piles of fat, piles of uh, just buckets of liquid inside of our body, inside of this very body. I remember uh, spinning my seventh pansa, seventh vasa at Wat Nong Papong in Thailand and going alms around one day and uh, coming upon a pile of skin in the road. It was a, a cow skin, an entire cow skin uh, like like raw, just it might have must have dropped off of a cart or something, and it was just sitting there in the middle of the road, festering in the sun, and I just thought, wow, that's that's a big pile of skin that probably weighs a couple hundred pounds, and uh, and I think it's the the Buddha saying, yeah, these are the khandas, the the piles, the heaps, and they're not self. It's just they're just natural conditions. So when we think about something like not-self or impermanence, then there might be a sense of dismay that arises. Oh, that's, that's pretty awful. How could we think like that? Or when we talk about something like death contemplation where the Buddha recommended that we, um, we who practice think about death, consider death all the time, never forgetting that death can come at any time and will inevitably come to us. We don't know when, we don't know where. We do, know, we do know it will come at some point. And we think, oh, that's, that's really awful to think about that. But that's what it takes to really do the, uh, what's wholesome. We give rise to energy because of thinking about these things. But uh, the, the tendency is maybe to want to just uh, think about you know, nice things and uh, but the truth of the way things are is there is dukkha. It's not that everything is nice. You know, it's, it's tempting to think that 
there is only niceness. There is only good things. There is only wonder, wonderful things. Everything is wonderful. And, but there is dukkha. So if we, if we just try to tell ourselves all the time, well, everything's wonderful, everything's great, then we're denying that, that truth of impermanence, that truth of dukkha. But when we see that there is dukkha, when we see that there is dukkha and there is a cause of dukkha, and then through looking into and considering the causes of dukkha that are arising in our own hearts and letting go of them, that, then that's the wonderful. That's the wonderful. That's the marvelous. That, that dukkha can actually be brought to an end through looking directly at it, not through looking away from it. Looking away from it, it's just gonna turn around and come at us. It's like Lumpur Cha would say, if you, um, if you pick up a snake by the tail, it's just gonna curve around and bite you anyway. They have to let go of the snake altogether. Something uh, worth considering also on, on New Year's Eve is that, um, that idea of cleaning the slate, but then it's easy to remember and dwell on past mistakes. And I know I can do this as a, as a bhikkhu and with the 227 precepts and thinking like, oh, I haven't, I haven't lived perfectly as a bhikkhu. There's been times when I've made mistakes. There's been times when I've given in to seeking distractions. There's been times when, when I've gotten too obsessed with work. There's been times when I've done things that perhaps weren't necessary and uh, I can feel regretful. I do feel regretful over things like that. Um, but it, there is that sense of always having to begin, begin again and not to dwell on these things too much, but to say, well, I can do better. To be able to say with a positive attitude, yeah, I can do better. Uh, I can do better than that. And that wasn't the best I could do. I can, I can make it more wholesome. I can do better. And having that positive attitude than having the energy. If I was to dwell on past mistakes too much, then I'm not gonna have enough energy to do better. So dwelling on the past mistakes and getting really kind of upset by it, might think, well, the past mistakes are the cause of dukkha. Or is it the dwelling on them too much the cause of the present dukkha? Really looking into it in that way. So we do have this, we do have this very, very good opportunity to uh, begin again and to look into all of these things, to contemplate the Four Noble Truths and just to remind ourselves that we are doing this here. We're here now, we're in the monastery practicing. And uh, remember, I mentioned uh, at Seminary Deva series, uh, Papaja ordination that um, there's, I was, uh, doing a little bit more translation on some of these teachings of Lung Ban, and, and uh, he's talking about a long time ago at Wat Doi Damacheti, there was all these, uh, now now we see them as these great Krubhajans, meditation masters, but um, when they were still in their prime, they were all living together at this monastery and practicing together, and they would come together and discuss Dhamma from time to time. And when they were discussing Dhamma one time, they were trying to figure out how to translate this one term, this one Pali term, Kamatana, 
which is usually translated as basis of work or basis of practice. Kama means action, or, or, but it can be work as well, or it can just mean action or what we do. And so kama tana, tana is like basis or foundation. It's usually translated as basis for work. So what's your kama tana, or buddho, or the body, or the, or the um, 32 parts of the body, or the five, first five parts of the body? Those are different kama tana, or metta, that would be a kama tana. But they're trying to figure out how to translate it in the best way. And then what they, what they settled on for the translation was living in this monastery, that was their translation for it. That, uh, well, you know what it really means? It really means just living in this monastery. That's kamatana. That's the basis for work. You're just living here, just following the schedule, just living in the monastery, just doing the chanting, doing the meditation, actually doing it, doing the sitting meditation, doing the walking meditation, having the meal, doing the meal reflection, spending the afternoon practicing or sweeping around the monastery or doing whatever work is needed in the monastery, coming together in the evening, doing more chanting and meditation. That's the kamatana. So kamatana just means living in the monastery, following the rules, following the schedule. So that's, that's how they talked. That's, that's how they uh, discussed Dhamma back then. I find that very, very inspiring very, very helpful as well and encouraging. So we might, we might also think, well, this isn't the perfect monastery. You know, there are, there are issues here and, you know, we have, we have computers. We should just get rid of all the computers. And uh, yes, that's a good ideal. I would, I would love to get rid of all the computers, uh, throw them all away. But then, oh, but they're so helpful. And so, uh, but just, you know, we are living here and we're doing, we're doing a, a pretty good job of it. So, but there are, uh, we do make mistakes and we can do better. So we make those resolutions, make realistic resolutions that are sustainable. And then we, we move forward. And this evening also, uh, beginning at 9.30, we're going to do our 108 ETP so chanting it takes about two hours and 15 minutes. So we'll do that to bring in the new year. So that, that also doing that recollection of Buddha Dhamma Sangha over and over and over again can be very helpful. And we might feel tired, might have a, be lacking in energy, staying up a little bit later and doing that chanting can really bring, bring up energy, can bring up some joy, what we call Dhamma Piti, the uh, joy, happiness connected with the Dhamma. So doing something like chanting the praises of Buddha Dhamma Sangha over and over again can be very, very helpful for practice and a, and a great way to begin the new year and, and uh, very auspicious as well. And this type of a practice can be used as a meditation. So chanting is not apart from meditation. I remember uh, Longpa Apasano actually teaching one time that, uh, that uh, doing the chanting one time and the mind actually became quite settled during the chanting and that, oh yeah, chanting is not antithetical to meditation. So I've, uh, I've recollected that, that talk quite a bit. It's pretty easy to get hard on ourselves. It's 
pretty easy to be hard on ourselves when we're living in this monastery because we're comparing ourselves to the Buddha, the highest possible ideals. But it is good that the Buddha did recommend recollecting our own virtues, recollecting our, our own generosity, recollecting the precepts that we have kept. So this is very, very important for giving ourselves energy to keep going. And nobody's going to have it good all the time. Nobody's going to be inspired all the time. It's going to go up and down. There's going to go, there's going to be peaks and valleys in our practice. And there's always going to be intercommunal dynamics. And there's always going to be issues arising. Uh, but then we, we deal with them. We deal with them as they arise. And we, we keep moving forward keep moving forward with the bhavana, keep moving forward with seeing dukkha, seeing the cause of dukkha, seeing the ending of dukkha, that's something we tend to miss. So when we aren't suffering, seeing that that's what uh, Lungpa Puddhadasa called a little nibbana, so where we aren't actually suffering. So that's, there may be times when we have succeeded in, in letting go temporarily, and then we temporarily don't have suffering or we've cultivated certain parts of the path and they, they start to help our mind to settle down. So our mind is no longer as agitated as it was. We don't get as angry as we did. We don't get as stirred up by things as we used to. So through generosity, through service, through a cultivation of selfless service and dana parami in the monastery, through generosity, through generosity, right meditation starts to occur. So if we meditate a lot and we, we've, our mind has become peaceful, but then we get more and more angry. So if we meditate a lot, but then we stop meditating and then we get upset because things come to impinge on our meditation, we get more angry. The more we meditate, the more angry we get. That's not right meditation. Right meditation is when things become less of a problem. Sometimes we might meditate and then suddenly sound becomes more of a problem. The sound wasn't a problem before, but then we meditate and the mind, we, we experience some peace and happiness in the meditation and suddenly sound is a problem. So sounds weren't a problem before, but then they become a problem. So we want to be moving in a different direction than that with proper meditation, right meditation, sama samadhi, when we're not, when we're, whether we're meditating or not, then these things actually are less of a problem. Remember uh, Ajahn Jayasaro saying one time that one way to gauge your practices is greed becoming less, is anger becoming less, is the contemplation on not self becoming more, is the, is the contemplation on impermanence becoming more. So if greed and anger and things like this, confusion, agitation, if all those things are becoming less, then it doesn't matter whether we had some sort of un unbelievably profound meditation or not. But if we just meditate consistently, meditate in a balanced way, meditate evenly, and keep meditating every day, and the greed, the anger, the confusion, the agitation, fear, all these things are becoming less, we're moving in the right direction. Things aren't becoming, things aren't as much of a problem anymore. Things aren't as much of an issue anymore. We're moving in the right direction. Everything's okay. Everything's good enough. We're moving in the right direction. But if we meditate and have some sort of unbelievably profound experience, but then we come out of that and suddenly every sound is leading to more agitation and every little uh, kind of uh, 
loud chew from somebody is completely destroying our practice and it's their fault and then then that wasn't right meditation actually it may have been a prof genuinely profound experience but didn't didn't lead to wisdom so wisdom is is what's important metta that's goodwill it's brilliant how the buddha translated he he describes metta as non-aversion non-ill will and uh, i think that's a brilliant way to describe it because it is the other side of it so when there's no ill will there's metta when there's no aversion there's metta that's a great way of looking at it rather than giving rise to a sense of universal love you know that uh there might still be some aversion there and there might still be irritation um, ill will there but then the the complete absence of those things it's just metta is just the other side of that so it's like uh tanajan sake was saying the other day that that actually arises very very naturally very spontaneously if ill will is not present so goodwill goodwill for each other goodwill for the whole world like an unbounded unbounded goodwill not just oh i can have goodwill for the whole world except that person yeah. everybody except that one person they don't deserve it, but just unbounded, yeah. limitless. So we can make aspirations to do better and better in these ways. And uh, coming up on the new year, just using the Buddha's teachings, using the practice, whatever we, however little, however much we've cultivated, just using that to continue to benefit ourselves in any way we can, continue to be of benefit to others continue to be of benefit to the society, continue to be of benefit to the world, as we have been. I keep coming back to, you know, when uh, difficult things in the world are happening or we, we see, we get difficult news or we hear about hor horrific things happening in the world and atrocities and, and things like that, that if we can't help directly, which most of us don't have that ability or aren't in that position to help out, thing, help things out directly, then what we can do is we can practice and we can tip the collective scales in the direction of goodness. So through our virtue, through our practice, through our generosity, through our patient endurance, through all these things we're cultivating and considering within the Dhamma in the monastery, then we tip the scales. We tip the scales of goodness. Now, if we just get upset and dismayed about things and just give in to the darkness we tip the scales in that way we just add to it even though we're righteously against all the bad things in the world but because there's the darkness because there's the aversion the anger about it we're actually adding to it we're actually tipping the scales in the wrong direction so we want to tip the scales in the direction of goodness that's what's important and so we do that just through the practice we just keep going and then we can tip the scales in the proper direction. So if we doubt that, well, we're just in the monastery here, we're not really helping the world, it's actually not the case. We're probably helping the world a lot 
actually, by tipping the scales in the right direction, the scales of goodness. So uh, I wish everybody well on this new year. That's probably uh, enough to say in terms of a talk this evening. Um, and uh, yeah, that feels like enough. I'll leave it there.